We're going to look at Exodus today, but first we're going to go to the New Testament book, two New Testament passages. Well, we're going to look at several passages today, but we're going to start out um, Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, then we're going back to Exodus. Is anyone here an Ohio State fan? Uh, the Bible says, fan, fan. If you are, the Bible says, weep with those who weep. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of Ohio, State's, of Ohio State. I pastored in Saudi Daisy for eight and a half years. One year at a time as interim, and they kept, kept me there and kept me there. All eight Thanksgiving seasons, my music leader, I had two families, Ohio State fans. I mean, big time. My music director was one. And after they crushed us, he put on the screen as I walked in, OSU on the screen, and a little M down in the corner. And of course, COVID season, I, I left and I came down here the next year. I've been here two years. It must be God's will because for the two Thanksgivings I've been here, we've gotten even. But I don't have anyone to, and they're not here to rub it in. So I, I know they're waiting for my call, and I'm just not going to do that. Uh, and I'm not going to weep with those who weep. I'm not going to obey the Lord's advice on that. Uh, my son, who came, they came from St. Louis yesterday for the Thanksgiving week. He'd been sick all week, a fever. He'd been to the doctor. And you wouldn't believe how the Lord touched him during that game. He was jumping up and down. And we were like, I thought you were sick. And uh, we had a good time. I ate too much, but had a lot of fun. And uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. I, I knew today a lot of folks were sick and out and traveling, but I, I said something to someone about we're going to be down today. But you know, where two or three are gathered together, he's here, you know, and he, he's in our hearts too as well. We're looking at uh, Exodus 5 today. We're going to look at, read from Romans chapter uh, 9. When you get there, we'll read. But scholars are divided as to which Pharaoh this is. There's two people they say it could be this Amahopta. The other could be King Tut II. Uh, we know that King Tut II had a connection to Zone, a little city mentioned in Psalm 78. So that's why some believe he's the Pharaoh at this time. Uh, and of course, King Tut's the first, his tomb is really something they say over in Egypt to see. And I don't know if you can actually go down in, but really, really a lot of great history there. But the King Tut II was supposed to reign between 1493 and 1479. So we're not sure it's him because we believe and we're really sure on the Exodus being 1446. That's 1446 B.C. before Christ. So we think it's probably not him. But what a terrible time for the children of Israel. Moses had just returned to Egypt, meeting Aaron in the Mount Sinai region and prior to meeting with the people and they're back now and the people are about to be treated very badly. They've been slaves for hundreds of years, but now when Moses comes back to tell Pharaoh to let him go, he's going to really treat him badly. I read this quote, and I don't know who gave us this quote, but it's a great quote. Smooth seas do not make a skillful sailor. Smooth seas do not make a skillful sailor. If your life is so easy and so great and you never have problems, you'll never be able to help your children or your grandchildren, or the people you have influence over because you've not experienced difficulty. When we go through trials, we can help others. 
And I'm sure in 100 people or whatever we have here today, we usually have slightly over 100, I'm sure that we've all experienced every kind of trial known to mankind. If you asked everybody to say, here's my trial, we've been there and we've done that. What a challenge it is. But I'm going to read from Romans 9, and you'll understand why I read this in a moment. Stand with me, Romans 9, 17 and 18. This is where we let off last week. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he hath mercy, and whom he will be hardeneth and whom he will be hardeneth. Let's pray, God, bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in the world. Why you use someone like Pharaoh even to, even to put your people through some, such hardship, Lord, but we know there's a purpose in everything. And you had a plan for your people, and it wasn't to stay in Egypt forever. It was to move into the promised land where you'll eventually set up your kingdom. And we now understand your plan, but sometimes we don't understand your plan in our lives. We wonder what's going on. And we just pray, Lord, for blessing today. And maybe you'll explain and clear some matters up. But if not, we trust you today because you have the best plan for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn now to Exodus. I'm going to read from 319 and then we'll go into chapter 5 this morning. Exodus 319 and chapter 5. And I hope you certainly pay attention. Um, I used to have PowerPoint every week and I had fill in the blanks and paperwork. And I would look out while I'm preaching and no one was paying attention. They're all filling in the blanks. So I kind of cut it back. I don't use it very often. Just listen to the word of God today. Don't worry about anything other than what God has to say to you. Because he wants to speak to you. And I don't know what's going on in your heart. If, if I say something that applies, it's not because I have a camera in your home. It's because the Holy Spirit knows what's going on and he's guiding my words as I'm trusting him to this morning. But in chapter 3 of Exodus verse 19, I want to read this for, so we can keep this in mind as we look at the passage today. The Lord saying to Moses, he says, the Lord says, and I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And literally that means not without a mighty hand. So God is, is saying to Moses, it's not going to be easy. What do I say to you quite often? Life is hard. I was joking, talking with someone today, you know, I, I remember when I was a young guy, I'd jump out of bed, throw my clothes on, brush my teeth, go to school, go to work, whatever. And now I wake up and I think, well, I can't get up too quickly, I'll have a dizziness. <laughs> Don't move this arm too fast, my rotator cuff will hurt. You know, in my hip, I wonder how the arthritis is doing in the old hip replacement. And, and, and it gets hard. And those are minor things to, to what we can go through, right? I mean, we're blessed to be healthy enough to be here today. A lot of folks aren't here today due to health. And so we know life is difficult. And here he's saying to Moses, you're going to lead the people out, but it's not going to be easy. The Pharaoh's going to make it difficult. He's going to be hard on you. And so we find Pharaoh is defiant now uh, in chapter 5 as we move into chapter 5. He's defiant about knowing God. It's how it starts out. He said, who is this God? And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told the Pharaoh, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. Thus saith Yahweh Elohim, uh, let my people go that they can have a feast in the wilderness. God wanted them to celebrate 
to, to worship him, to offer sacrifice. And he says, God said, let my people go. And seven times in this, in this section, God says, let my people go. God wanted them to be released. And they want, God wanted them to first travel a short distance. Actually, it would take three days for the people to get there and get back because they had a million people at least. And it would take time to go sacrifice. And God wanted them to take this short journey uh, to worship him. And the Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? Who is this that I should obey him? And it, 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 obey his voice? I know not the Lord. I don't know Yahweh. And I'm not going to let Israel go. And they said, the God of the Hebrews had met with us. Let us go, we pray thee. We beg thee is what they're saying. Three days journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with sword. The word pestilence is a Hebrew word that's translated murrain in your Bible. When they had the murrain, the cattle disease, remember? Pestilence has to do with living creatures. And a lot of times we think pestilence is different than disease, and they're actually one and the same in Scripture. Because every time you have a cold, guess what? You have little tiny living creatures attacking your body. That's right, you do. Every virus is alive. And of course, the curse brought all that in. And so we have all these little creatures attacking us. That's pestilence. It's also disease. And the people were afraid, Moses and Aaron and the people were thinking, if we don't go offer this sacrifice to God, he's going to send some plague upon us. So they really wanted to go for several reasons. Certainly the joy of worship. You know, when I was young, I remember uh, when I, before I got saved, I went to a, a church for till I was 12 years old, and I dreaded every Sunday morning. In fact, in my baby book, my mother wrote, I asked Danny what three things he hated. He said he hated Sunday school, he hated baths, and he hated rutabagas. Now I love them all. <laughs> but you know, a lot of folks, oh, church, and mom's gonna make me go to church, or my wife's gonna say we're going to church. And, or my husband, and a lot of people just don't like to go to church. And I was there. But do you know now I love going to church? And when my pastor would preach, I would get so, I can't wait to get to church because I love my pastor's preaching. And, and that should be our joy, our desire. And so the people wanted to go. They wanted to go worship the Lord and they knew they had to sacrifice. Pharaoh says no. Now remember, Pharaoh is a type of the enemy, a type of Satan, isn't he? A lot of types in here. Egypt's a type of the world. You know, we don't need to love the world. The, the children of Israel were supposed to leave. They weren't supposed to say, I want to go back to Egypt. They had good onions and, 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 and uh, garlic there. They, they, did, they did say that. They complained. We're not supposed to be like that about the world. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. I'm thankful for onion and garlic, but we had a guy in our church one time ate so much of it, I didn't want to get near him. But we don't need to love the world so much that we have to just always, oh, I love the world. We have to love God more than the things of the world. And so they're, they're having to leave. Egypt's a type of the world, Pharaoh of Satan. The bondage of Israel is a type of the bondage of sin. The a type of the bondage of sin. And then Moses is a type. Look at Deuteronomy 18, 18. He's a type. And guess who he's a type of? You know this, don't you? You're smart people. You understand Moses is a type of the Lord Jesus. Look what Moses says and look what God says in Deuteronomy 18. 
In 1818, we can look back at 15, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me, Moses said. Someone's going to be raised up like me, but of course, he'll be much greater than Moses. In verse 18, God says, I will raise them up a prophet among their brethren, like unto thee, and put words in my mouth, in his, put words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I command him. Who is that? Who's the prophet that's going to be raised up amongst his brethren? And Moses is a type of that prophet. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. All through scripture, we see prophecy pointing to Jesus. Now back in Exodus, here we find in verse 2, Moses says, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Who's this Jehovah? Or Yahweh is what he would call him in the English. We'd call him Jehovah. It's translated Jah in the Aramaic translation. Who is this? No doubt Pharaoh knew several languages. At least he knew Hebrew because he speaks Hebrew. Unless Moses translated for us. But he says, who is this that I should shema? That I should obey? I don't know this Lord. I'm not acquainted with him. And I'm not going to obey him. Pharaohs, remember, were considered to be gods themselves. So he's no doubt arrogant, he's angry, he doesn't like to hear the people loving another God because after all, he's the Pharaoh. And he needed all honor and praise. It's interesting because <clears throat> he, he certainly was lost, but he lost his son when the firstborn was killed. He lost his soul. He lost everything because he rejected God. And I think of the tragedy of people and, uh, you know, today we hear all this talk about, oh, there's many ways to get to heaven. Then Jesus is a liar because as he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man gets to the Father but by me. I believe my Lord. He's the only way. Yes, I'm narrow-minded. My father-in-law used to joke. He'd answer his phone at the church. He'd say, narrow-minded Baptist church. Just joking because there's only one way to Jesus. And uh, we're narrow-minded because we trust Scripture that there's only one way. And it's through that cross. Jesus also said, I am the door. When the, the Passover was a type of the cross, the side posts, the head posts. So clearly Jesus made it very, very clear to everyone. And I, I was listening. Uh, I, heard, I heard this on 105.1. They were quoting a person on one of these liberal talk shows who said if Jesus were alive today, he would be applauding the LBGQ? What's that? Whatever. Yeah, the LGB. What? He would be applauding all of that and applauding all this change, surgery changes stuff, you know, that's going on today. He would applaud it. And I thought to myself, then we had the crowd that says it's not in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy 1. And what did Jesus say? He said the worst sin, I'm paraphrasing, the worst sin you can commit is unbelief. And he said to those in his hometown, for you it'll be worse than those in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now let me just back up because... A lot of times when the pastor talks about something like this, the only reason I'm referring to this is it was in the news this week. And we a lot of times like to think, well, that terrible, terrible, terrible homosexual lesbian crowd. But then we have our own lusts and our own sins. We have to be careful because, you know, we always have to examine our own hearts. Uh, and the Bible makes it clear that's wrong, but it also makes it clear lust and immorality and fornication is wrong as well. And it's all sin in the eyes of God.
But I want you to notice something because we need to see that this same Jesus turned to 1 Thessalonians 1 or 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want you to see something because the same Jesus that we think about with the Beatitudes, and I love the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Don't you love to read that and think about that coming kingdom where it's all going to be wonderful? That's going to be an awesome thousand years. And a lot of people in the world always want to talk about Jesus from the mercy and, and grace side. And I love that he's merciful and gracious because I needed it as much as anyone else needed it. But that same Jesus is not going to come uh, without, without justice and judgment and condemnation. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, read verse 7. And uh, it seems pretty pleasant, his appearing. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That's awesome. But the text doesn't end there. The next verse, do you see it? 2 Thessalonians 1.8, what does it say? He's coming what? In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. That's Jesus. The merciful, gracious Jesus who died on the cross and granted me mercy and you mercy and grace. He's been so good to me. He's good all the time. I'm so thankful for what he's done for me. But when he comes again, he's coming in fire and vengeance. And what is he going to do? He's going to deal with the lost people of the world. Do we applaud that? No. Do, are we excited for that? No. We should dread that. Because we're supposed to be compassionate, merciful people. We're supposed to care about the lost. And so much, so many times I hear preaching or I, I, I talk to other pastors and preachers, you know, over the years. I'm not talking about recently. And, you know, it's almost like, yeah, I can't wait till the Lord comes to bash the world. We're not supposed to be anxious for him judging the world, but for him coming to be with us and taking us into his kingdom. We're supposed to really, really actually be concerned to the point where we're out quickly sharing the gospel with the lost. Instead of saying, good, they'll be judged. We're supposed to be compassionate. And here's the Pharaoh. God's using him. And Moses is warning him that judgment's coming. He's given him ample opportunity to, set, to let the people go. But it's going to take 10 plagues. I love John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they might know thee. It's all about knowing Jesus. It's all about knowing Jesus. So they would have to take three days journey and uh, this would be a challenging deal. And they're asking for, for him to release them. And uh, he, he's not cooperating. We know in verse 4, uh, it says here in 5-4, And the king of Egypt said unto them, Why do you want to do this? Just to get out of your work? Paraphrasing. You have enough people. You don't need to rest. And so he's just defiant against the Lord. And then he's degrading them. He tells in verse 6, he says to the taskmasters, taskmasters, which would include the Israelite officers who are under the Egyptians, he says, increase their workload. He says in verse 7, let them get their own straw from now on. They were providing straw for them to make the bricks. Now he says, let them get their own straw. I was reading, uh, there's a document called the Papyrist Anastasii, which mentions making brick with straw in that day. 
And so, of course, once again, archaeology always validates our Bible. We, we trust our Bible with or without it, but that's always interesting. And then I was reading about a tell there. Remember the archaeological mounds we call tells. You can dig down and find civilization after civilization. They didn't have dump trucks to haul it all off. They just built another city on top of it. And they had the tell there, and they found under it several ancient foundations with straw in the mud making bricks. So we know that they had to get their straw. And according to verse 12, it would be quite a distance, to, distance away. We'll look at that later. So let them get their own straw. Increase the workload. Rather than submitting to God, Pharaoh says, I'll make it tough on these people. They're not doing their work. We'll make it hard on them. And go gather, let them gather their own straw. And verse 8 says, he wouldn't allow them to change the size of the brick or the amount of work. They're just going to have to suck it up and do it. You know, actually persecution has always strengthened the church. Did you know difficulty has made you stronger? You old weightlifters use the word no pain, no gain. I still lift weights. Twice a week I go lift weights. Oh my word, it's getting harder and harder and harder, you know. I'm dreading it. If I get out of the car and walk in, I think, Lord, I just, I need to quit riding. I ride my bike, I do my sit-ups, and I want to quit it all. I mean, I'm just <laughs> getting tired of it. But if no pain, no gain. In, as a Christian, if we don't have trials and hardship, we're not going to be anything for God. We're just not. I was reading about Paul, and I like this outline here. And don't know where I got it, but it's, I had it written down in my Bible or something, and I've got it written down here. Paul's imprisonment meant four things. His captors were evangelized. Remember, they all got saved. His colleagues were emboldened. The other apostles saw how Paul got bolder and bolder, and they were encouraged and went out and did great work for God. His critics were exposed, and his Christ was exalted. You see, everything about it, Paul rejoiced. He's in prison rejoicing because God did such great things. It's really about our perspective and our view of life. We, we can be negative. We can be positive. We can, we can be like Job's wife or Job. You know, Job's wife said, curse God. Why live for him? Quit going to church. I ain't giving a dime to that church. I'm not going to that church again. I'm tired of life. Everything goes wrong for me. This God doesn't help me at all. You can have that. Or you can be like Job. I'm going to live for God. I love God. And I thank God for all that. You know, you, you make choices. I, I read a cute little story. A, 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 a really a joke, but it's, a, it's cute. Two shoe salesmen were sent to the Australian Outback. And both had different personalities. The first one wrote back an email, said, bad news. There's no business here. The natives don't wear shoes. The next one wrote back, said, great news. Great opportunity here. The natives don't wear shoes. I, you know, one thought, well, they don't wear shoes. I'm giving up. The other one said, hey, all these people need shoes. It's kind of how we are with church. You talk to two people at church about something going on in church, and one has a positive and the other has a negative. And I'm not talking about anybody specifically, but you know that's so true. If you've been in leadership, you always have people who are positive and, and, and difficult. It's just the way it is. And Harold's not complained to me, but I guarantee he's had people in the choir. Maybe they don't like a song. He hadn't said that. Maybe it hadn't happened. But every choir director I've ever had had choir people didn't like a song or wanted this other song. And when you pastor, you get that as well. I mean, you have kids. All of you that have kids know they're all different. 
I have a sanguine, melancholy, phlegmatic, and uh, choleric in my family. My four boys have four different personalities. One of them's real organized and real neat, and the other one's just completely, I don't want to say it, he may watch the broadcast. Not that way, we'll say. <laughs> I have one that's always positive and one that's negative. And, I, you know, I see that, and God uses them, because God uses all of us in spite of our personalities, our weaknesses, and our strengths. He uses them. But here we, we find uh, you, you, they're in the middle of a difficult time for Israel. Moses is, is getting discouraged. We'll find that later. But the workload's getting hard, and he's falsely saying they're not doing their work. He's not going to regard their God, and he's going to be cruel to the people. That's life. Look at verse 12. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. They had to go get this wild. If you've ever been out to the Great Plains, you see they, they don't have grass like we have in the east because it's dry. And they have this tall stuff, looks like hay, but it's just wild and it's everywhere. That's all you have. You don't hardly have trees out there. My son lives out there and I'm like, why is it always windy? He said, Dad, there's no trees. The wind just keeps blowing. You're so tired after two hours out in that wind. Your eyes are like, man, the wind's blowing. And, and it's just, and so here are the people of Egypt. They're out in the desert and they've got to go out and gather all this stuff because they won't provide it anymore. And it's just getting tough. And certainly they had to travel a distance. Look what they do in verse five. Unfortunately, we do this as well. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh. Why are you doing this to us? We're your servants. Several times it says there, they're his servants. Several, at least three times. No, we're your servants. We're loyal to you. No doubt there were, you know, people who sucked up to him and polished apples and people in his kingdom that were Jews that ratted their own people out. You, you have to understand the children of Israel are just like people are everywhere else. Some of them stood for God and, and spoke up to Pharaoh and Moses and Elijah, Moses and, Moses and Aaron are, are having a difficult time here. And we find here in verse 16, he says, your, your task, they say, well, you're, you're just putting too much on us. Your taskmasters are, and now we find Pharaoh being deceptive. He calls them lazy and, and, and says they refuse to move. And, and uh, Moses is saying, but you're refusing to let us worship. And so here we have the, the battle begins. And this will go on for all these plagues. Verse 17, he says, you're idle, idle. All the building they did, <laughs> there's still remnants of building projects the Jews actually did thousands of years ago. They still find things to show they were there as a people. There's a plaque over there talking about uh, Joseph and his 11 brothers. And there's so many things we found to prove Israel was there. And of course, we know the Bible says it, so it's true. But now Pharaoh's deceptive. <clears throat> and look in verse 20. The children of Israel go in and they plead with Pharaoh. And, and when they come out, here's Moses and Elijah. They stood in the way. And they, they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came out from Pharaoh. So they're, they're, they're going to, I don't know the confrontation. We don't know what's behind this, but we know that Moses and Aaron, Moses knew the Pharaoh, uh, probably because his Fame had been spread, and it's been 40 years since the Pharaoh he was under. But certainly there, maybe his, his, uh, the, his mother, his Egyptian mom, we'll call her, was probably possibly alive, but certainly they knew of Moses. 
And he's probably wondering, why are these people going and talking with the Pharaoh and he's waiting for him? And it's not fun because they say to Moses and Aaron, the Lord look upon you and judge because you have made our savor, I mean, and our taste to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh. We stink in his eyes is what they're saying. And you put a sword in his hands to slay us. So they're upset with Moses and Aaron. And no doubt Aaron is discouraged by this. And Moses, uh, certainly I should say Moses is discouraged by this. Aaron would be too. I mean, they're, they're blaming him for everything. We stink in their eyes because of you. We stink it. We, we, they, they hate us. And look what Moses does. He goes to God. And Moses returned unto the Lord. And he's going to complain a little bit as we all would. He goes unto the Lord, that's Yahweh, and said, Adonai, meaning master, Lord master, Jesus master is what we could say. Why have you allowed this evil to come upon this people? And I paraphrased again. Why is all this happening to us? You know, you call us here to lead the people and the people aren't behind us and Moses against us. This is ridiculous, Lord. What do you expect me to do? You ever talk like that to the Lord? Well, sure you do. Or you think it, you pout, you react improperly. I hope you can say, Pastor, no. Every trial I've experienced, I just rejoiced. Great, I'm not you. I've complained. I'll tell you a story. I was in Panama. We'd started our church, and we, we grew to about 150, and I had a song director. He's, you know, a good guy. He'd been to Bible college some and everything. And, and uh, he... Uh, <clears throat> had our van, he would pick up some GIs, bring them to church. And so one night I'm going downtown to get some pizza and there's our church van in front of a club. And I walk up and I look to make sure, you know, and I'm thinking, what's going on? And there's a girl in there who said, she said, we're going to party. I'm waiting for Shane. He's my music guy. And I thought, okay. And I thought, I'll just wait and see how this unfolds, you know. Well, he come out and got to get in the van. He started getting in. He, I walked up and said, Shane, so what are you doing? And he, you know, the color left his face. He didn't know what to say. And he couldn't say anything. There's a case of beer in the floor. He'd plopped it in the side door and got in the front. And I said, I want this van back on the church property in 20 minutes. Now, maybe that's too hard. I don't know. What, you know, what do you do? I'm a 20-something-year-old pastor. He got the van back. In a timely fashion, I never saw him again. So maybe I handled it wrong. He couldn't lead the music anymore, obviously. And he would have had to be under church discipline or something. But I probably didn't handle it the best I could. But I got home, and we had you know, the old corded phones. You know, we had one with a long extension. I took that thing, and I threw it in anger. It went across the living room and smashed the glass in our china cabinet. I mean, my wife never forgot that object illustration or whatever you want to call it. God, why would you give me a music guy that's picking up a trashy girl and has a case of beer and coming out of a club? It's your fault, God. Maybe I didn't pray enough about having him as our music director. I don't know. I don't understand all that. You don't either. But don't we act like that way to God sometimes? Why is my kid not perfect? Why did my kid do that in the restaurant? I had a you know, my, I told you the story about going to the restaurant and those beautiful gardens in the middle and seating all around and beautiful tropic paradise. And my son's gone, two years old. He's in the middle of that island going to the bathroom and every diner saw him. <laughs> uh, why does that happen? I'm embarrassed. Mary, go get your kid. 
You know, all of us experience difficulty. And we get mad at God. And Moses is now saying to God, this isn't fair. I'm here for you, Lord. He says, verse 23, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he had done nothing but evil. Uh, you know, uh, you haven't delivered us. You haven't delivered us. And when we get that way, we realize we're wrong. And one of the best things to do is to think of someone else who's got it far worse than you. This story I found is so good. I cried reading it. It's a story about Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, and you know they're Christian people. Their daughter Robin had died, and they were just really struggling. And they were out and about, and they met a little boy, a pale-looking boy, who stuck out his hand and said, Howdy, Patna. He had been abandoned in a Kentucky motel and was physically and mentally disabled, it says here. I didn't understand how disabled because he ends up going in the military. But listen to this story. They adopted him, calling him Sandy in honor of his hair. He was a bright-eyed and good-natured boy. During the Billy Graham crusade, he trusted Jesus as a savior, became a very involved, active Christian. He enjoyed, he, they enrolled him in a military school. He loved it. At 17, he enlisted in the army to prove himself, he said. He worked hard in one respect. He was sent to Germany, then volunteered for Vietnam. He had put his faith in the Lord. He would continually say uh, he, that uh, uh, I have found out that God, you can trust God. Everything you ask, it, the only thing you ask is your devotion. Then one day, Dal Evans, returning from a trip, was met at the airport. It's Sandy, Mom said. He's dead. Sandy returned from 26 days of maneuvers, dog-tired. His buddies had taken him out for a night, needling him to prove he's a man. Sandy, who couldn't tolerate alcohol, uh, had been given alcohol. They fed it, hit him hard liquor, pouring it down him. He was found the next morning dead in his bunk. And Dal Evans wrote this, that the scripture from Job 13:15 about tragedy in a Christian life is a refiner, she wrote. And she went on to say, the clouds of sorrow had been heavy, but I reached the point of no return in my Christian experience. I knew I still couldn't turn back on God. And she said, I trusted this verse in Job where Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Job said, I don't care if God kills me. Remember Job's family, his kids were killed. He lost everything. And Job said, if the Lord even kills me, I'm going to trust him to that point. Isn't that awesome? This tragic story, of course, this boy's in heaven. We'll all meet him one day. But how they must have been broken after losing a daughter and then an adopted son. It doesn't seem fair. Life isn't fair. Grace isn't even fair. It's so wonderful that a person who's broken every crime and done everything imaginable is given the same grace you are. He's got as much joy as you do or maybe more and you think why he did all that and I've tried to live for God. It's like the prodigal son story. Though he trust, though he'll slay me, I will trust in him. I've written down here just four little things in closing. Life is hard but God is good. You know, God doesn't want you to suffer and make everything hard for you. But the natural, the enemy and nature and sin and all that causes a lot of pain in our lives. We need to pick up our cross, trust in his word, and follow him. And all oh, that will be rewarding one day. Huh? When we see Jesus, 
all the suffering will be gone, so minimal, we'll never have it again. That is going to be a day. What a day that will be. Let's pray. God, thank you. We look forward to you coming, Lord. I wish you'd come today. I wish you'd rapture this church right now, Lord. But maybe someone else needs to be saved. We certainly know a lot of lost people. I believe in my heart our president needs to be saved, our vice president, many of the politicians. I believe neighbors on my street need to be saved. Friends I grew up with need to be saved. Lord, save them. Lord, help me to be a, a, a compassionate towards them. And Lord, we just pray for a revival in our hearts that we'll be like Jesus, eating with a sinner and showing kindness, yet realizing sin is wrong. In one day.